Podcast episode 98 of the Bronx Bias Podcast. I'm your host. My name is Denzel, and we are back like Jordan wearing the faux five. I want to start by saying thank you to everyone who tunes in, who likes, who subscribes, who shares, and who supports. Thank you to everyone who is active and engaged with me on the social media platforms. I truly, truly, truly appreciate all the love and all the support I receive from y'all. Thank you to all the essential workers out here who have been battling this COVID still. And finally, thank you to all the people who are out here using their voices to affect change in a positive way. We always, 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 always have to start the shows with the thank yous because the thank yous are very, very, very important. Please do not forget, your boy Denzel has official Bronx Bias Podcast merchandise available for purchase, along with the brand new Bronx Bias blog. The site where all of this is available is at BronxBiasPod.com. Come check it out. I've got hoodies, t-shirts, tote bags, masks, and stickers, along with the brand new blog. The blog will be a place where I can cover topics that I couldn't cover on the show or that had to be edited out of the show. Um, I've got four pieces on there, and I'll be trying to publish one per month. We got episode 100 is fast, fast, fast approaching, and I'm planning a special blog post about it just like the history of the Bronx Bias podcast the history of myself it's going to be very heartfelt and special can't wait for you guys to read it it will be coming out shortly after my 100th episode um so stay tuned for that and this is very important to add the Bronx Bias blog is an open platform if you are an artist of any kind or a musician a poet a writer 
you know, any type of artist, period, and you would like somewhere to display or publish your work, the Bronx Bias blog can be the place for you. It is an open platform. So if you want to get involved, all you have to do is go to my website, fill out the contact form that is there, or you can send me a DM of, across social media and we can work together and get your stuff out there. You do not, and I repeat, do not have to be from the Bronx to have your work displayed on the Bronx Bias blog. So if you are interested, please do not be shy. Send a message or fill out that contact form and we can get your work out there. And as I've said a million and more times, I'm an independent podcaster from the Bronx, New York. So all of the support and love I can receive on the blog and also with the merchandise will be very, very, very appreciated and vital to the health and the vitality of the show. So please, please support. Please get a T-shirt if you can. Please read a blog if you can. And I really, really appreciate it. And I sincerely appreciate Every single person who has purchased some merchandise from me and the site where, again, all this can be reached, the merch and the blog is BronxBiasPod.com. And with all of that being said, we are going to have a great, great, great show today. Fully, fully, fully packed. And I'm in an amazing mood. I'm in a tremendous mood and I am ready to go. So let's get it. I am in a very, very, very good mood. Today's intro was an amazing, amazing, amazing song by Sue Hip Hop Pioneers. It is one of the most classic, classic, classic hip hop songs ever. I still hear this song at every barbecue, at every function, at every part, like every outdoor get together where it's like just everyone having fun. And it is called It Takes Two by Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rock off of the album It Takes Two. And again, this is just a classic. Like you have heard this song before, whether you knew it was this song or whether you didn't know it was this song. You've heard it at, I'm sure, if you go to a baseball game, a basketball game, a football game, you've heard it at somebody's barbecue or cookout. You've heard it at somebody's graduation party, somebody's baby shower. You have heard this song. This is one of the most classic songs ever. And I thought it was super appropriate for today because our guest is going to tell us a story about how he collaborates with people, how he meets people, and it does indeed take two. So shout out to the Hip Hop Pioneers, Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rock for creating this timeless song. It's one of the greatest songs. You love hearing it, especially when the weather's warm, and it's a great way to start the show. It had to be played for today. So shout out to Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rock. Now it is time for my favorite, 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 favorite segment of the podcast, and it is called Bronx Facts. For those of you guys who do not know, or maybe it's your first time listening to the show, Bronx Facts is a segment I like to do at the beginning of each show, just to give one fact about the Bronx, New York, that people may not know, that people may have never heard before, just to try and show how many great things, how many great ideas, and how many great people come from the Bronx, New York, my home. So without any further ado, your Bronx fact for today is established in 1891 and located on the Bronx's Fordham Road, 
The New York Botanical Gardens contains over 1 million plants. Its 250 acres houses a spectacular conservatory displaying plants from tropical, desert, and temperate regions from throughout the world. As one of the leading botanical centers in the United States, the garden also hosts public educational programs throughout the year. For more information or to see how you can visit the botanical gardens or donate, you can visit them at their website at nybg.org. And that is your Bronx Fact for episode number 98. Yes! Yes! Damn, son, where'd you find this? All right, all right, we're getting right to it today. We have a very, 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 very special guest. It's only special guests that appear here on the Bronx Bias Podcast today. We have Dave Combs who is an entrepreneur, a musician, and the author of Touched by the Music, How the Story and Music of Rachel's Song Can Change Your Life. Dave, thank you so much for taking some time out to talk to me today. How are you? I'm doing wonderful, Denzel. It's good to see you, and I know both of us are getting ready for a, a wonderful weekend. Weather is it's springtime. It's, it's that time of year when everything, oh, the weather is great. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm very excited about the weather, too. All right. So, Dave, can you tell the people where are some of the places that the people can reach you if they want to get in contact with you, hear your music or see everything else that you have going on out here? Well, I've made this really simple. You know, a lot of people have all these got links to everything, all this. I put it all right on my website. If you can remember my last name, Combs, C-O-M-B-S, just go to CombsMusic.com. And right on my homepage, you will have a picture of my book on the left with a link underneath it to go to Amazon to read all about it and get it and so forth. And then on the right-hand side, you'll see a picture of the cover of my CD album, Rachel's Song. Right underneath that is a link that will take you right to Amazon where you can either purchase the CD or download the music or listen to you know streaming of it if you're an Amazon music subscriber and and then on down at the bottom of my page, you've, you've got a, a link to my email address, which is also very simple, just dave at combsmusic.com. And right in the middle of my home page, now we're going to talk a lot about music today, yes, and especially yes. this one song called Rachel's Song. And in the middle of my home page, you'll find a link right there. It just says, play Rachel's Song. You click on that and chill out now. Just close your eyes and listen <laughs> to Rachel's Song. So See, Dave, a, I, li- I like your I style, like- man. You're straight, simple, to the point. You're right, though, because there's a lot, even myself, where, you know, you click the link and then it's a whole list of things that you can oh, click. Yeah. You got to streamline yeah. it. Yeah, and down at the bottom of my page, I've got all the, you know, your social media links. You just click on the, the little icon for Facebook or LinkedIn or YouTube, you know, and so on. Click there and it'll, it'll get you to where you need to go. So you don't have to remember anything except my last name, Combs, and CombsMusic.com, and you're there. That's right. I like that. I like that. Keep it straight, easy and simple. People can find it with no problem. Dave, my first question for you, and this is kind of a, a layered question or a multifaceted answer from you. How did you get your music played on radio stations all over the country? I'd imagine that is a very hard thing to do and it takes a lot of planning so 
in your own words, how can how did you do that? How did you accomplish that feat of getting your song played on radio stations all over this country? Well, it started with one. Everything starts with one, I guess. It started with a local radio station. And this was in 1986 when I had just recorded just one song is all I'd ever recorded. Rachel's song. And it was only recorded as a demo. We'll talk about that later. But uh, the recording of Rachel's song, I had a friend who had, he was a DJ on a, a, a local FM station. He did a big, a big band jazz program. You know, he talked about the, all the music. He was a great uh, host of a, the big band jazz program. Well, I was having lunch with Bob. Bob McCone is his name, is my friend. And I was telling him about my recording that I'd gotten made of Rachel's song, just a demo. And he was intrigued by the, the story. And he said, man, I got to hear this song. So we went to his office and he had a boom box. That a little, all I had was a cassette tape of it that he could listen to. Put it in his boom box. And, and Bob's sitting there on the, in his office and he's, he's, he's got his eyes closed listening to the music. Now, when you want to really soak up a piece of music, you want to close your eyes and listen to it. So Bob's sitting there and he listens to that song. And, he's, and I hear this, mm-mm, mm-mm. You know that you know that sound. I mean, he really liked something. Well, when it finished, he had tears in his eyes, and he wow. he said, "Man, this is a this song is wonderful. It's a it'll be a standard." And I thought, "Wow, this is a pretty high compliment coming from a radio guy." So he says, "You got to let me play this on my radio program." I said, "Okay, Bob." So I loaned him my only copy of my master tape. I had a reel to reel master tape of it. Loaned it to him. I said, you take care of that. That's the only one in the whole world. So he did. Took it to the radio station. They made a copy. And then he played it on his radio program that next Saturday morning. He, you know, it was, he interrupted his normal programming to play Rachel's song. And he played it. And it wasn't very long after that. My phone rings at home. And it's the, the radio station manager calling me. He says, Dave, I'm so-and-so with the radio, WKLM radio. And he said, I've been in radio for over 20 years, and this has never happened to me before. He said, Bob played your song on the program this morning, and our phone bank of about 12, 15 lines, they just locked, they just lit up. Everybody was calling in. What is the name of that song you just played? So he said, man, this, this, you've got something here. So that was my first radio airplay, and that was, and he told me, he said, Dave, you got to do something with this. You got to get this on other radio stations. This is grand, fantastic. So I didn't know how to do that. All I knew is I need to find out how to get a hold of them anyway. So I found a publication. I think it was called Radio and Records. It was a national you know, publication for radio stations. And it had a, they had a book that had all the radio stations and their formats and phone numbers and program directors' names, all that stuff in the book. So I ordered one of those. And then I had the, the, you know, all the stations I could contact. And I was going to contact just the easy listening format stations. Now, we don't have, I don't think, I, I don't even think in New York, there might be an easy listening station, but I doubt it. I think, you, I think we have Light FM. I think that's the only yeah, one okay. that's, that, easy, that's easy probably yeah, okay. Well, every major market back then, this was the 1980s, they had, a, you know, easy, li- they called it easy listening instead of light FM or whatever. Or now I think some of them, they call it light jazz or light, light contemporary, whatever. Anyway, this book had, they had 400 radio stations that were that format. So I started calling. I'd call and I'd talk to the program director and he'd tell him what I wanted to get, send him a Rachel song. 
uh, music, and he'd I'd send it to them. Every one of them loved. They loved it too. They played it, and it was just as, as successful on their radio station. Some of the radio stations, though, said, uh, "We don't do our own programming. We subscribe to a service out of Chicago called Bonneville Broadcasting, and they provide our programming for us." I said, "Okay, well, that sounds good. Who do I call at Bonneville Broadcasting?" They gave me a name and a phone number. Who does their easy listening programming? I called him. He sent him the music. He loved it. Absolutely loved it too. He he called me back and he said, "Dave, I'm going to put this in rotation on all of our stations." Wow. And then easy listening. I said, "How many stations you you program?" And he said, "We are over over 200 radio stations." So boom, <laughs> I went from just a handful to all all of a sudden every major market in the whole country. And I eventually got it on every all four. 400 stations but it was bit you know i just it was hard work you know you get on the phone and you pitch your your music and send it to them and then i, I the way i say it is i let the music do the talking from then on so that's how i got it that's a kind of a long story but that's how i got it from one radio station to all 400 all over the wow. whole country. now what is that like what is that like mentally right going from you play your music for your friend bob and then in a matter of however long, maybe a few months, now 400 stations are playing it. What is that like? Like, how do you feel when that's happening, waking up every morning? Well, i tell you what is really, really strange is when you land on an, you know, I was doing a lot of traveling with my, my day job, which was working for AT&T and Western Electric. And I was doing a lot of traveling. I remember landing on the tarmac in Dallas, Texas. When I got there, I turned in, tuned in my little portable radio to a local uh, easy listening station. As soon as I hit the station, what did I hear? Rachel's <laughs> song. Uh, <laughs> I got chills. It just, you know, it just, you know, it's just a wonderful surprise. And that happened a lot of times. I would go through walking through the, an airport. They even picked it up for music in the airport uh, session. I'd be going through the Atlanta airport or something. I hear Rachel's song playing over the sound system. Wow. I mean, it, it was just really, I, it was, it's very uh, energizing and exciting. It's really exciting, I guess. How do you feel when you hear it now? How do you, how does the song make you feel now? Uh, it, the same. I mean, it, it, it just, it never gets old. I mean, it really never gets old. So it's, and, and I have had people tell me they've listened to Rachel's song over and over and over. And they tell me they never get tired of listening to it. I don't know what the, there must be some quality of this that song. I'd love to know why. Maybe some expert needs to dissect it and sit and tell me what, why does this work. But uh, anyway, it's it it still it it thrills me even today. That's amazing, man. That's a great story. That's a great story. And congratulations, also congratulations. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. So, Dave, my first question in terms of you know getting to know you is. What inspired you to start your music career? You said you used to work for AT&T and Western Electric. So what inspired you to start your music career? And also, when did you write your first song? Obviously, Rachel's song. Well, I grew up in East Tennessee. Now, I know you're in the Bronx, right? Yes. So, And there may be some Tennessee folks that have migrated to, to the Bronx to work. I don't know. And if they are, I want to say howdy from Tennessee. <laughs> let, let them hear a Tennessee accent anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I grew up in East Tennessee, and I think it's a state law in Tennessee that you have to play an instrument, by the way. <laughs> but I grew up in a musical family. My mom and my dad both played the piano. My dad played by 
by ear. He could just sit down and play something. He didn't, didn't need music. And my Granny Combs, she was born in 1894 before even electricity was any, in any place. She loved to play, make music. I, my best memories of my Granny Combs is when she was playing this thing. This is an auto harp. Wow. This, is my gran this is my Granny's auto harp. When she passed away, she said, wrote a note in the box and says, this, is, this harp belongs to David Combs and signed it, Granny Estelle Combs. <laughs> so this is her instrument. I can remember her sitting down and just, you know, playing. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And so on. she could just make that thing talk. And my job was always to tune it up for her when I came in. So I'd tune it up and then she would tear loose and play and sing something. So I grew up around music all my life through, you know, all my, a lot of my friends played music and at church, of course, I was in Baptist. And so for the Baptist, the church music is a big part of our church service. I love choral music. I love the organ and piano duets, you know, all that. So I grew up around that and learned to play the piano from my father and took some lessons too. And so it was just kind of came naturally. I'm, it, may, it may be even part of my genes. I don't know, but uh, it's in my bones, as, as you can say. But I did not write my first song until I was 33 years old. Now, I was a, I was a former choir director. I had directed my own home church choir for a couple of years while I was in college. I had a small church here in Winston-Salem that I directed the choir for a couple of years. Around music all that time. But I never wrote any song of my own. I was always conducting or playing uh, other people's music. Well, at 33 years old, in January of 1981, I sit down at my piano, which you can see behind, those of you watching, you can see a piano behind me. I sat down at my piano after I got home from work. Now, playing the piano is how I relax. I just, when I want to relax and just chill out and take my mind off everything else, sit down at the piano and play something. It doesn't matter what. That particular time, I sat down at my piano one evening, and I just started playing this song. I didn't think about it. I didn't have any music in front of me. I just sat down and I played it. And you probably talked to other musicians that have written songs before, and they'll probably relate something similar to you. You don't really, some songs, you do not sit down and say, I'm going to write a song. Sometimes you do. A lot of times you do. But sometimes you just sit down and that song comes to you and you play it, right? It's, a, it's kind of a mystery process of, of how that happens. Well, I played this whole song. I didn't think much about it. I loved the way it sounded. It was in the key of C. It was easy to play, very melodic and very soothing, relaxing. I didn't think anything about it. A couple of days later, my wife, Linda, comes home from her job, and she says, Dave, what is the name of this song I got stuck in my head all day long? <laughs> and she hummed a little bit of it, and I said, well, it doesn't have a name, Linda. And she says, what? You play it on the piano all the time? I said, well, it's just something I made up. Well, she got all excited. She said, wow, you, you, wow, have you, have you written it down? I said, oh, no, I've, I'm not going to forget it. I've got it up here in my mind. She said, nope, you better write it down because something might happen to you and that song would be gone. I said, okay, yes, ma'am, I will do that. <laughs> <laughs> I will do it. And I did. And I have here in my hand, for those of you watching, this is the music that I wrote down. Wow. And it's just the melody and the chords of a very simple key of C and with a C, A minor, D minor, and G 
G7 kind of chord progression and, and a chorus that goes to the key of the chord of F, F minor, whatever. Very simple. Just very simple. So I wrote it down. Didn't have a name. Put it in my piano bench. We tried to think of a name for it. You know, most songs, you got to have a name for a song, right? It just doesn't need to be opus number one. <laughs> so we couldn't come up with anything. Well, roll the calendar forward a couple of years. Some good friends of ours have a little baby girl named Rachel. And Rachel, her parents asked me and Linda to be her godparents. So at little Rachel's christening service, we're in this little tiny country church, just us and the family and the minister. And we're sitting there, and at the front of the church is a grand piano, right in the middle of the platform. Toward the end of the formal part of the service, I punched Linda and I said, hey, what do you think about me playing this song now as part of this service? It just seems just the perfect place for it. She said, yeah, that's a great idea. So once they finished the formal part of the service, I went up front and asked the minister and the family if it'd be okay if I played a song on the piano. They said, sure. So I walk over, sit down, and I start playing this song. Sounds wonderful. This, you know, nobody but us in the church, the, the acoustics were really good echoing through the church, and the music was just great. And I get into the song a little ways, and I hear this <clears throat> clearing throat and little sniffles here and there. And you know what's going, you know what's happening. It's really, it's a touching piece of music. And I noticed my eyes were getting a little bit moist. <laughs> so at, at the end of the song, I looked over at little Rachel in the arms of her mother, and I said, okay, from this point on, this song will be called Rachel's Song in wow. her honor. And wow. that, that Denzel is how it got its name, and it just was the per it was hand and glove, perfect fit for the song and the name. And from then on, when I played Rachel's Song, either I played it or as the the story about playing it on the radio happened. It just, it just touches people. I, I cannot totally explain it, except that I'm, I'm blessed to be the one that first played that song. And so, you know, I have spoken with a lot of musicians, and sometimes they say they think about their music a lot, and they work on it, but sometimes they just get inspired and they just make it. So do you feel like you know, the approach of just having it come to you organically is better music is makes for better music. Or do you feel like when you sit down and you really focus and you really, you know, lock in, is that a better song making process? Which do you prefer more? I think they both work because I have done both a lot of both, especially the latter part. <laughs> I have had very few songs that I just sat down. There. I've had a couple others that I just sat down and played. But most of them, they start with an idea. If you think of it as a musical idea, I'll sit down and, and it'll be maybe just a little phrase of a, of a music in a certain chord. Maybe it's a minor key or a major key. It just depends. You start with that. And then what, what I would call is I kind of it's like making bread where you have to knead the dough. You know, you, you keep working on it. And then finally, you end up with where you, you want to be. And so I, that's a lot of my songs will be that way. I will start either with just a pure chord on the piano and, and just close my eyes and listen to what I hear when I hear that chord. Or sometimes I will just, you know, be playing along and play some melody that kind of comes to me as I'm playing a certain chord. And I'll say, oh, well, that sounds a little, I, I think that's unique enough to work into a song kind of thing. So a lot of my music was done that way. In fact, my whole second album 
Beautiful Thoughts is the title of the second album of original music, I would get up every morning before I went to work an hour early and sit down at the piano, and I would. my intention was to at least get the beginnings of a new song. And, and I wrote that entire album that way, wow. sitting down at the piano, and I would just early 6 o'clock in the morning or 5.30, whatever, just play something on a piano. And it was, it was amazing to me that, sure enough, if you sit there and have a conversation between you and the piano kind of thing, things happen. So it, it, it did have a creative uh, uh, inspiration to it. Mm. What have you learned about yourself through this whole music uh, journey that you've been on? Like, what have, what have you found out about yourself that you didn't know previous to you starting really making music full time? Well, prior to writing that first song, I learned that, I yes, I could write music. And I realized I do have a gift of creating a melody. In fact, you know, if somebody gives me a poem or a set of words that, that have some kind of a meter to them, you know, I like poetry that has a meter, I can usually sit down at the piano with that, that, those words and meter, whatever. I can come up with a melody that, that goes right with those words. I just seem to have that gift of creating a melody. And I could always, now that I think back, make up something, but I didn't think of it as writing a song. So I guess that a revelation that I could write music was kind of probably the biggest thing to me. And also, the second part was I discovered that I also have a very good, apparently, work ethic and mind for an, as an entrepreneur. I've kind of always thought about even from when I was in the sixth grade, I planted a half acre of potatoes to feed my elementary school and make a little money. Now, we, we were from a very, I wouldn't say we were poor, but we didn't have any money. <laughs> but we didn't think of ourselves as poor. Right. But we, we had everything we needed. And so I, my first, one of my projects was to plant a half acre of potatoes as a little boy, learn how to do that, harvest them myself, and I sold them to my elementary school, fed my whole schoolmates, for a, a week or two on potatoes that I raised. So I guess I had kind of an entrepreneurial tendency all the way from when I was a young kid. But I guess the music business, when I got into how do I market my music, made me realize that I have also a, a skill at being able to monetize and turn a, a music or a business idea into a productive, profitable venture. Right. So that was kind of a revelation to me, I think. Very interesting. Very interesting. So along those lines, uh, what would what would you want your overall message to be with your music and everything else that you do? What do you want people to take away from you, Dave, when they interact with some of your music or they come in contact with things that you have worked on? What is something that you just want people to always get from your creations? Well, there's two two aspects of it. If they're just listening to my music, of course, I want them to take away those feelings of peace and relaxation and reduced stress and all those uh, benefits of listening to that kind of music. That's what I would like for them. They don't need to even think about me. I want my music to speak to them in that way. But when it comes to my story of my, my journey with my music and what I've done with it and been blessed to do with it, that are all in my book, when they, you can read my book and see, read a lot of those stories, I want them to be inspired I want them to realize that everybody has gifts. And my point is, 
take your gift and give it away. You make sure you don't keep it to yourself. Don't, as they say in the Bible, don't put it under a bushel basket and hide it. You know, you, you need to get your light out into the world. And so that's the thing that I'm trying to impress on people is take your gift, make it the best you can be. And if it leads you into a entrepreneurial venture to, to use that gift, so that, that's great. And the thing that the one word that you need to remember is action. Hmm. You need to take action. Don't just sit on your behind and think about something all day long. Get out there and do something. You can only change directions and go and make a right move if you're moving. So get moving is that. Take action and get moving. Now, not every direction is going to work out, as any entrepreneur can tell you. It is not a straight line from here to there. It is, there's a lot of zigs and zags. You're going to run into obstacles and setbacks or, and all kinds of things that will happen. But it's that vision that you have of where you want to go and your determination to get there and take action and not stop. Just don't let anybody stop you. Don't ever let anybody steal your dream. You just keep going and, and bring people with you. Surround yourself with people like you and other people that are there to support you and build you up and, and encourage you. And if somebody is not encouraging you and tearing you down, you get about as far away from that person as you can because you want people to build you up and move you forward. That's right. You should add motivational speaker to your credentials. <laughs> I'm feeling real motivated. Like, All right. Okay. I'm, I'm blooming as you're speaking. <laughs> so, Dave, on those lines of obstacles that you mentioned, what were some of the obstacles or shortcomings that you had to overcome when you first got started in the music business? And what are some obstacles that you're facing now that you're later into your career? Well, I guess one of the things you might have you might think it would be an obstacle. It would be if I realized that I can write music. Yes, I can play the piano, but I am not a professional performing session musician like uh, if you go to any major studio and find these people that they do that for a living. That's not me. Now, if I had the thought that I had to do everything with my song myself, it probably would never have gone anywhere. But I was fortunate enough to meet a young man by the name of Gary Prim in Nashville, Tennessee, who is a fabulous session musician, keyboard player. He is so talented, it's not funny. <laughs> and he is unbelievable. He is the one who took my little Rachel song that's on this piece of paper. So simple. I sent this to him and a little recording of me playing it. Met him in a studio. And he uh, basically was able to take that and make it into a fabulous recording. So as an obstacle, I could have treated my, my lack of skill at the piano in terms of making it, you know, knowing how to use a synthesizer and how to record. I could have stopped right there. But that obstacle was overcome by simply contacting somebody else that was willing to help me out. So that's another thing is always you can find people that can fill in the gaps where you're, you don't have a skill. Somebody else does. So, you know, just team up and, and get that person to help you. And, uh, you know, when I first started with Rachel's song, another obstacle I hit was the big box stores that sold music and records. They didn't want to have anything to do with me. And I contacted them. They didn't know Dave Combs. They didn't, I never heard of, you know, instrumental music wasn't one of their genres that they were pushing. 
they wanted country and jazz and rock and roll and classical, you know, all the, the big, big sellers. So that could have been a stop, showstopper for me. But I said, nope, I know from the feedback from the airplay on the radio, people want my music. So I said, okay, if they won't, if I can't go that route, I'll just make my own route. And through a long, to make a long story short, I ended up selling my music through gift shops. Mm-hmm. Now, in a gift shop in a tourist area, you walk into the store, most of the time, I'd say even maybe almost 100% of the time now, you will hear music playing in the store. That's they right. want it to be a real pleasing atmosphere in there. You know, it's, it's just, uh, it, it needs to look good. I always call it, it needs to look good, smell good, and sound good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you smell those scented candles, and, and you close your eyes, listen to music, and, and beautiful items around in the store. That was the venue and the atmosphere that I needed to sell my music. And I was eventually able to get one, over 1,000 gift shops around the entire country to play and sell my music. And that was what enabled me to quit my job in 1992, working for AT&T, to do my music full time. And so from, from one little gift shop to over a thousand, there's a story of how I did that in my book. You can read that. It's a great story. And then in today's time, what are my obstacles now? I guess the biggest obstacle is that we are in a noisy environment. And I think you would attest to that. If you walk down on the streets of the Bronx or New York City, uh, what you're going to hear is honking and noise and all this stuff. It's it's a noisy world out there. And all of us, <laughs> I think we we yearn for some peace and quiet sometimes. Just you know, put on your headset. Thank goodness they invented this noise-canceling headsets. Aren't they yes. wonderful? <laughs> you put that on. Boom, where'd the world go? <laughs> it's just amazing. So I think one of the things that's a big obstacle for my kind of music today is to find find a place even quiet enough to listen to it. You almost have to put your headphones on and listen to it just yourself. You're not likely going to walk into any business established and hear my kind of music. So that's a big obstacle for me. And also on the Internet. Now, I do have a big presence on the Internet. I, all of my music, all I have over 170 songs that I've recorded. And 120 of them or so I have written. And all of those are on the internet for download and streaming and that kind of thing. So it's available anywhere. But because it is so easy now to get it on the internet, it is easy for millions of other people to do the same thing. So you have a very crowded marketplace. (laughs) You know, it's like you're one grain of sand on the beach right now instead of, you know, back in the beginning, it was just me and two other musicians around the entire country that were selling our music in gift shops it was uh, i helped invent that what they now call the play and sell market me and two other musicians and that was it but now everybody does it so yes today the big challenge is the proliferation of the availability of music where you have over two million podcasts you've got you know spotify you've got uh, Pandora and all the, the streaming places. All you have to do to play any music is just speak to your speaker box over here and say, hey, so-and-so, play Rachel's song by Gary Prim. And next thing you know, boom, there it is. That's right. But that's, the, that's a blessing and a curse because the curse part of it is that there's a million other people competing for the same three minutes of your ears to, to listen to some music. So I guess that's that's a... 
a long story of, of the challenges, but we're, we're still in a very challenging time. That's right. I agree. I agree. I find the same parallels with podcasting. When <laughs> I first started, I was just like, man, do I even want to do this? Like every yeah. other day I see a new podcast come out and it's on the Spotify charts, it's on the Apple charts. And yeah. I'm just saying to myself like, man, do I even, should I even venture into this space because of the oversaturation? But I had a conversation with another podcaster who's been podcasting for years, and they're saying this is the best time to do one. And I say, well, why? Because the market is so crowded. They said, no. When I was doing my podcast, back when they tell me about the stories from back in the day, yeah. how difficult it was just to produce one. They're like, oh, this yeah. is the best time because you don't need a lot of equipment. You don't need a lot of money and you can get it out everywhere. So I, mm -hmm. I took that with me and it helped motivate me to get my show out there. Yes. Well, it's, it's, it is an interesting and a fun format too. And it, it is so great to hear. I am in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. You're in the Bronx That's right. and we might as well be sitting right across from each other, having a conversation at a table. I mean, it's just, it's very, very almost real. It's, it's virtual, almost virtual reality is what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. So now you mentioned your book. I want to know what is the real differences in creating music as to writing a book? Are there a lot of parallels in that creation or is it like one world in the music and then a completely different world with the book? Like what is the differences in creating music and also writing a book? Well, both of them have to have a commitment of time to on task. You have got to, for example, I know, right, it took me about nine months of solid work. I mean, eight, 10, 12 hours a day writing and working on my book. And, you know, you write and you rewrite and you, re you, you edit and you rewrite again. You know, it's, it's a long process. And I guess it's similar with music. Sometimes you could take a song and it's not exactly where you want it. You rework and, and you work on it for a long time. So the creative part side of it is, is certainly this kind of the same in terms of commitment. But the process and all the logistics and knowing how to go about getting a book written uh, is different because you're you're dealing with, you know, how do you do you publish it yourself or do you get a publisher? Right. Well, I decided I decided to, to self-publish. I, I, I knew how to get things done digitally. I'm a techno I'm a technology person. I have a, a I graduated college with a math and physics degree and I was a computer technology person all my career at AT&T. And so I've, 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 computers are, are my home territory, so to speak. So the technical aspects of writing it into a, a Word document or whatever was not a problem. But it, it was a, a really big process of sitting down and writing those stories and learning how to best tell a story. I learned real quickly that there was something called show, don't tell. Mm. If you want to write something... By show, I mean you use words and language for that the person that's listening to you or reading is there with you. you. You use descriptions that use as many of the senses as you can. You describe what it looked like, felt like, sounded like, felt, you know, smelled like, all those things. Bring all that in. Show the, 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 the person the story so that when they think of your story, they have already kind of rolled a movie in their mind of, of your story. So I had to learn a lot about how to, how to go about doing that. And, and, and like with the music, there were a lot of people that were willing to help me. And one of the persons that really helped me was somebody that almost everybody knows because of his Chicken Soup for the Soul books. 
and that is Jack Canfield. Yeah. And I don't know whether you've interviewed Jack Canfield or not. He's a busy man, I know. And uh, But I had the privilege of getting to know Jack. I spent three days with him back in November of a year and a half ago. And I got to know him. He loved Rachel's song, by the way. He fell in love with my music. And then we got to know each other. And I was telling him about all the, oh, I've gotten over 50,000 letters from people all over the country over the years about my music. I have boxes in my basement full of these wonderful letters. I was telling Jack about that, and he got excited. He said, oh, Dave, you're sitting on a gold mine, man. <laughs> I said, I don't know about that. But then I was telling him my stories like we're talking today, and he was fascinated. He said, Dave, you, you've got to write this book. He said, and, and I'll, I'll help you when I can. And uh, so he has been a big help to me. And I said, well, Jack, will you write the forward to my book? And he kind of chuckled. And he said, well, Dave, you write it first. And I, <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't going to make a, you know, a blanket promise there. So I did write it. I sent it to Jack, and he loved it. And he wrote the forward to my book. Wow. So I'm very honored to have one of the most successful authors of all time write the forward to my book. And I also have endorsements on the back of my book from a couple other people you may know. One of them is Gary Chapman who wrote the five love languages book. A lot of, really? lot of young. Yes. He's, he's a, he and his wife, Carolyn are neighbors and friends of ours. We've known them a long, long time. He wrote an endorsement for my, my book. Uh, Dr. Nito Cobain, who's the president of high point university here in high point, North Carolina, known him for a long time. He wrote an endorsement. My good friend, Barry Fowler, who was the founder of Sylvan learning, Wow. And way back in the day. And he, he sold it when he was age 40. And he's a serial entrepreneur. He's got, he has created more businesses than you can imagine. But he is a dear friend and almost he's like a brother to me. He wrote an endorsement on the back of it. So I've had wonderful endorsements on my book and a lot of help. And that process, I think, really made it much more easier when, I, when, you, when you run into a problem or a, an obstacle. You just go and ask for help. And I've always been able to find it. And that took nine months of writing and processing and editing and getting the cover designed, all that, the mechanics of it. You have to learn all that as well. But getting it up on Amazon as a paperback. And I went, <laughs> I'm sitting right where I am and I've got a big microphone over here that I used. I recorded my whole book as an audio book. Wow. You can listen. If you want to listen to an East Tennessee accent for eight hours. Just buy my Audible book and, and you can listen to me read it to you. <laughs> so what are the uh, creative, well, not creative, what are the editing differences in between song making and authoring? So I'd imagine when you collaborate in the studio, you have a piece of music and then another person comes in maybe with an idea to add or someone comes in with an idea to subtract something or add a different sound. What are what are the editing sessions like when you're writing a book now? Because these are your personal stories. These are your real life. So I'd imagine you have more of a connection to it. So how does the editing go with authoring as opposed to song creating? Well, song creating was pretty easy because I only worked with Gary Prim as the he was the arranger and performer of my music. I would simply send him. In fact, I learned early on as a creative person, as Gary is. The, le the least amount of information I gave him about my song in terms of direction of how I wanted it orchestrated or anything, mm -hmm. the least amount of direction I gave him, 
the better the end product was because I didn't, I was not constraining his creativity. I needed to turn his creativity loose and say, here's Gary, here's the melody, here's the chords, here's kind of the feel that I've, I've done it. And I just trusted him. And that, that trust factor was so strong that he and I have, like I said, we've recorded over 170 songs in the studio over 15 years. And you know that was an amazing, it, it wasn't even like an editing. I didn't, it wasn't one where I sat there and said, no, Gary, you need to do something else. That was his job to create and arrange it. My job was to, to write the song. And then after he was finished to, to figure out how to create it, the, the product and market it. So that was not an, there was no uh, interference on my part on his creative process. Now with the book writing process is different. When you write a book, it's your book. Mm-hmm. You may have an editor, you can hire a bunch of editors, but the end, when push comes to shove, it is your book. And it's, you have the final say on what you want in your book. So the process of finding an editor who can get inside your head and, <laughs> and help you make you sound like you, right. but sound proper, you know, and, and tell a good story and things like, uh, and they have great ideas about, you know, inserting dialogue into a, a book. You know, if you're telling a story, sometimes you tend to just put the facts down. Oh, I did this, that did this. It's so much more interesting if you can just pull back and say, well, you know, I was in the studio and, and Gary said, oh, I think I need to, you know, you just make it into conversation. And what that does is it allows that that inside the movie inside your head to start playing and you the reader then is there with you you right. want the reader to be with you in in all your stories in your book and so that part of it was it was different because i, I ended up hiring two editors one was the what i would call the story writing ed, kind of editor and the other was the your, your normal as you would think about making sure that all the english is correct and the the punctuation all the the, the that kind of editing. Right. So I hired two. I ended up hiring two. But yes, it is a it, working with an editor is a lot of work. And I can't imagine being on the editing side of it, having to do it because they have to really learn to get inside your head because they're trying to make your writing sound as good as possible, but sound like you. Right. And and I've, I've, I've had a very high compliment from several people that say when they read my book, they could hear my voice. That's good. That's awesome. And they, they can also get your audio. Oh, they, and, and they can really hear my voice whenever they hear the audible book. But, uh, but that's what you want is you want it to be in your voice, your story, and make it as intriguing and as spellbinding and as much of a page turner as you can. And there are, there are great editors that can help you do that. But in the end, it's your book and you've got, you're the one that has to do the final say so. Would you say that you would prefer your story to be in a book? Or would you prefer your story to be played out as a movie? Because you already said you, when your people read your book, you want them to get that movie in their mind. So do you feel like your story will come off more genuine as a page to page book? Or would you like your story to be played out as a movie? How do you think people could connect to you more? I've thought a lot about that. In fact, I, I've, I have a contact who is a documentary movie maker, a very successful one. And, uh, and I approached him about, you know, could my story possibly be made into a some kind of a documentary story about me? And he said, well, certainly. And uh, it could, but of course, it costs about a half a million dollars to produce it. And I, I said, okay, well, <laughs> I'll have to save my nickels and dimes for that. 
But yes, you know, I have thought about that. You know, when you see stories, these documentaries on PBS or CBS Sunday Morning has all these little segments that are always wonderful, personal interest, and a lot of them about music and musicians. Yeah, I think it would make a wonderful heartwarming story. And I just haven't made the connection with the right person that says, all right, Dave, we're going to do your story as a documentary. And maybe that'll happen someday. That would be wonderful. And I think it would be an interesting because it, it does have a lot of a long, a long storied line to it. It goes all, all the way back to 40 years ago, 41, when I wrote Rachel's song. And then I was 33 years old then, so there's 33 more years of when I was from when I was born to then. So it could be quite a, a long journey. So the, million, think, so the million dollar question, I'm sorry to cut you off. <laughs> the million dollar question then is who would play Dave as a young man? <laughs> who would play Dave as a young adult? And then who would play Dave now? That's the million dollar question. <laughs> I don't know. I'm open for suggestions on that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, there are so many good, good actors. I'm always amazed at the skill of an actor. Somebody like a Tom Hanks that has the ability. He can play any kind of person, whether it's, you know, he's, he's just so gifted at, at becoming the, the part that he's playing. And I am amazed at that. You know, I can see a Tom Hanks kind of person. You know, that you. That is a perfect answer because in my head, I'm thinking, I say, who could play Dave? I think maybe <laughs> Tom Hanks. I just said it ahead of my mind. Maybe Tom Hanks could play Dave. That yeah. is perfect. Like, yes, Tom Hanks, we're putting the word out. We're, we're putting it in the universe. I have a great person named Dave Combs who wrote an amazing song a bunch of years ago, and you should play him in a movie. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Now Tom would have to shave his head, I think, a little bit. I don't have a I don't have a whole lot of hair going on up here. <laughs> I'm sure he would do it. He's done more for his oh, roles. He sure has. He's great. <laughs> okay, so my next question for you, Dave, is who are some influences? who have been impactful to you throughout your entire journey? Who are some people that you have learned so much from or who have really helped to guide you and help you get to this level of success that you're enjoying currently? Well, musically speaking, I have to go back, I believe, to when I was uh, a young person in church enjoying uh, singing and, and actually eventually conducting my choir music. There was a conductor by the name of John W. Peterson, mm -hmm. who wrote, I, I don't know how many songs he wrote, but it's thousands of songs. But he also created a, a dozens of what the, are called cantatas. These are musical performances, usually at Christmas and Easter, special times. There's a, it's a special music program with uh, lots of songs that, that tell a story. And he wrote some ab absolutely beautiful songs, hundreds and hundreds of them. And his music was uh, ahead of its time in the in the church music. He would introduce some what I would call jazz chords into a song. You know, you don't when you open up a hymnal in a church, whether it's a Methodist hymnal or a Baptist, whatever. You're not going to find a lot of jazz chords <laughs> in the songs. But his musicals and his songs would introduce, you know, a major seventh chord or a minor sixth chord or a minor seventh chord, and that was different. You know, it was the chord progressions were, it wasn't like a, a rock and roll kind of song or a doo-wop kind of song, but it, it was a departure from the standard. And so that, the love of that, the way that sounded just touched me. And I thought, and when I would conduct my choirs singing that music that way, I could tell from the, res, the response of the, the 
congregation that they loved it. It was just great. And so John W. Peterson was just a, a wonderful mentor, musical mentor that I had never met until in the 1990s, my wife and I were going to Scottsdale, Arizona for a wedding. And I learned that John W. Peterson had retired to Scottsdale, Arizona. I wrote him a letter. I didn't know why I'd hear back from him or not. He wrote me back. And I said, I would love to meet you sometime. And if, I'm, if we're ever in the town at the same time, I would just be so honored to meet you. He said, I would love to meet you too. And so when he invited my wife and I to come to his home wow. in Scottsdale, and I spent probably about an hour, hour and a half with John W. Peterson sitting there with his wife and my wife and in his living room. And he invited me to play Rachel's song for him on his piano there in the living room. Now, that was that was a high water mark for me. I, that, I was so honored and deeply touched by the man. He was a he's a great, wonderful, tall gentleman, soft spoken and such an humble person. But he was a giant in the Christian music creation business. Anybody in Christian music would say John W. Peterson. They would know that name. Now, get, getting to meet him and his influence on my life and personally thank him for all those wonderful songs that he'd written was just so such a wonderful privilege on my part. Wow. That's amazing. That's an amazing story. You know, you hear sometimes horror stories when people meet people they look up to you know they they get they have horrible encounters i'm uh, glad to hear that you had a great one yes so that that was really great all right and also we've touched on your motivational speaking prowess which again if that is something you want to do i suggest it along those lines my last question of my serious quote-unquote questions for you is what advice would you give to some other entrepreneurs out there just trying to figure it out? What's some great advice from your experience, from your journey that you can impart to people out there just trying to figure their own things out? Well, I think I've already touched on it one time, and that is that key word of action. Mm -hmm. If you have an idea for a, a product, a service, anything that you, you do as a, a, a worker, a, a creative person, and you have created something that you think has some appeal to other people that would want to pay, pay you money for it. Uh, and, and it can be as simple as, as you said, a skill of being able to speak to motivate people. A lot of people are great motivational speakers and that they didn't start out as great motivational speakers necessarily, but they learned their craft. And that's the point here is that as an entrepreneur, you start somewhere and you don't always start with, a, you know, everything goes viral in two weeks kind of thing. That's not the kind of success we're talking about. We're talking about a success of having a steady, positive motion, act, taking action, and constant movement ahead. And even when you run into a, a little bit, don't think of it as a problem. You just think of that's just one other way it won't work. And then you back up and try another. Think of, think of Thomas Edison's trial. If he had 10,000 ways that the light bulb would not work. Really, finally found one that did. And I just saw, my wife and I saw a program this week on Thomas Edison's venture. We've been to his uh, laboratory in, in Florida and seen all that he invented. But he found lots of things that would not work. But he also found thousands of things that did work over, over the years. So that's the thing is you don't give up. You keep trying. You keep moving ahead and have confidence that you, 
your your idea, your product, your service, whatever is is worth it, worthwhile, and then surround yourself, as I've said earlier, with people who will move you. You know, you've got to have your team. Your uh, what do they call it now? Your not your flock, but your um, um, anyway the your your entourage. Yeah, something like that. There's another word that just escapes me at the moment. But anyway, your team around you that's going to support you and move you forward, and and realize that that team can be formed and expanded upon. But you're the one in charge of doing that. If you don't ask somebody, they will never. That, usually not volunteer. But if you ask, they will usually be willing to help. So that's my advice to the entrepreneurs of the the world today: is keep moving ahead and take action and and surround yourself with a great team and you'll succeed. All right. You see, you see, I, I knew it when I heard it the first time. I said, Dave has got a skill for this. So that was great advice. And I appreciate you imparting that to our listeners. I think a lot of people can learn a lot of great things from it, especially seeing how well you have done. And I appreciate those sentiments, Dave. Thank you. I'm glad you appreciate them. That's right. That's right. And now moving right along, you guys can follow me and hit me up on Instagram and Twitter at Rogers Neighborhood. Instagram is R-O-D-G-E-R-S-N-E-I-G-H-B-O-R-H-O-O-D. Twitter is the exact same, except there are no vowels in the word neighborhood on Twitter. And something I do every show, Dave, is I answer questions from the listeners of the show. It's a great way to keep them involved. It's a great way to keep them engaged. And it's a great way to break up our, you know, NPR traditional <laughs> style interview with, a, with some fun listener generated questions. So I would like for you to answer some of the questions from the listeners. Okay, let's do it. All right. So my first question that I have from you for you from the listeners is who would you most like to sit down next to on a 10 hour flight? And why? One of the people that I would love to have had the privilege of sitting next to for that length of time is a fabulous musician by the name of Roger Williams, the piano player. Yes. I did have the privilege of hearing him and my wife and I heard him in concert about two months before he passed away. He had no idea that he had pancreatic cancer at this point. But we saw him give a, it was like a two and a half hour concert with no break, uh, constant playing, him, him playing the piano with the band and everything in Florida, down in Stewart, Florida. But he is such a gifted musician. And I did get to send him Rachel's song early on. And I heard back from Roger Williams that he, I wanted him to record uh, his rendition of it. it. would be I thought that'd be a great way to have a fantastic recording. And what he sent me back was, he sent me the word that said, Dave, I love your song, but I would not want to record it because it is perfect the wow. way it is. He said, I would not want to change that, that song at all. He said, I love the way it's played and orchestrated now and said, I, I'm not trying to discourage you, but this, I, I would not want to re-record that in my own style. He said, you, you've got a great thing going. So that's, a, I, that's amazing. Yeah. So I, I thought, well, wow, that's the best left-handed compliment I've ever had in my whole life. <laughs> but, you know, to, to sit next to him and because his life was about music from the days that he wrote 
and recorded that Autumn Leaves special. You know, the one song that he's famous for is Autumn Leaves with that descending uh, little fast run that he does with the leaves. You can just see the leaves coming down off the trees. And that, that song put him on the map. But he, his work ethic and his, uh, his energy and his skill was absolutely amazing. So, yeah, I'd love to spend 10 hours next to Roger and just kind of listen to him tell stories for 10 hours. It would be just wonderful. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. You got some great stories, Dave, of like just meeting <laughs> great people and having great interactions. That should be a book. You should write a book <laughs> of all of the encounters that you've had with like noteworthy people and how they were affected by your song. I think that would be a great book, too. Well, thank you. That's a good idea. Yeah, you can have that. That's free. <laughs> all right. <laughs> okay. All right. So, Dave, my next question for you from the listeners is, what was the most important thing that you have learned during or after the pandemic that we have just really been going through for the last two years? It's not really over, but... You know, what is the most important thing that you have learned about yourself or about the world or anything, you know, during or after the pandemic? Well, I think the thing that I learned during the pandemic was that instead of sitting at home and, you know, pouting about not being able to go out to eat or go visit people or whatever, to take to get busy and do something. Right. And I and this was a lot with the encouragement of my I have to give my wife a lot of credit. You know, we're sitting there at, over on the one evening during this pandemic time, and we're all bemoaning the fact that we can't go do this, can't do that. And you turn on the TV, and it's more of the same of you know all the bad news, and uh, and people in nursing homes were locked in, and you know restaurants were going out of business, and it just was not a pretty picture at all. And so instead of sitting there and and you know, being negative about it. She says, well, Dave, you know, that book that people have been telling you, you need to write. <laughs> she said, you need to get busy and write it. So what I learned was that uh, I could take my time that you know, we weren't going anywhere else. So turn on my laptop computer, fire up word and start typing. And I learned that, you know, I, I was, I think as Jack, Jack Canfield told me, he said, Dave, you're a good writer. Well, I'm not sure Maybe my English teacher in high school, she may have told me that. I don't remember exactly. But I don't think I had very many people in my life tell me, Dave Combs, you're a good writer. Maybe because I'd never written anything. <laughs> that could be. <laughs> that could be. But, but once I got into it, I did discover I enjoyed the process of putting these stories down on paper and fine-tuning them and reading them out loud so that they, they, they sounded you know, conversational and didn't sound stiff. And I enjoyed that. So over that, that uh, nine-month period of writing my book, that was during the, the height of the pandemic. And so I, I, I learned, you, you know, even if times are bad outside the home, you can still find something productive to do inside your house. And don't just sit around and watch television and, and get more and more depressed. Turn the TV off and go do something. That's right. I, and I literally, that is how this podcast got started. Like, really? like literally, that is how this podcast got started. I had the idea for a long time and I was like going through the back and forth. Well, there's so many podcasts out here and, mm -hmm. you know, I don't want to be the 1000th person on the chart of a thousand, <laughs> you know, like, but then when the pandemic came and I was sitting at home, just twiddling my thumbs, yeah, I just said, you know what? 
there's there's no better time than to yeah. just go for it and try. So yeah, I had a great, great team of people. I met a lot of people mm-hmm. and I literally just started working on it. And it was it is the best decision I've ever made. So I fully agree with that. And this this time where it was seen as just so negative and it was a very negative, but yeah. so many positives were able to come out of it. A lot of the guests also I've had been blessed to speak to on the show have started their creations from the pandemic time. They all have the same story. Well, I was sitting at home and I said, <laughs> well, I might as well go for it. And literally that is how many yeah. people have gotten things started. So I think it's, I think that's great. And I think more people, if you're out there and you got an idea and you want to make something happen, go for it because you will be rewarded and how great it makes you feel. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And so Dave, the way I like to end my interviews with the guests is have them leave the, the audience with something that they can just hold on to um, as just like a final message. So what is one thing that you would like to leave the listeners with today as a piece of advice, a life jewel, or just something very important that you would like to express as we tie a bow around this great gift of an interview that I've had with you today? Well, a couple of things maybe. One is to just to reinforce what we've talked a lot about, and that is to take action with your ideas and your dreams and your aspirations. Take action. But on the musical side of things, and I'm not trying to just sell music, I want, I want folks that are listening to this to take the trouble to go and find a quiet place. Put on a headset if you, if you have to, but, or put it on in your stereo room in your home where it's really quiet, whatever. And I want you to play some of my music. Start with Rachel's song, and then there's uh, uh, lots of others to choose from. Or you can go just go on Pandora and create yourself a, uh, a, a, a what they call a station, mm-hmm. a Gary Prim station, and it'll play some Gary Prim music. Or go on iHeartRadio or Spotify. It does the same thing, I think. You can start with an artist, and it'll play that. But I want you to really seriously sit down and and in the right environment, listen to my music and feel the stress and strain and whatever just kind of flow out of you. Just leave your body and, and leave you in a state of mind where you are more peaceful and relaxed than you were when you started. And if you can succeed in doing that, maybe every day or periodically, I think life will be so much more peaceful and happy for you. And maybe we can spread some more happiness around. But that's that's what I would like to leave people with. And they, as we said earlier, you can just go to my website, combsmusic.com. Start right there. Play Rachel's song. Close your eyes and listen to it and be at peace. That's right. I like that. I like that. Well, Dave, I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for coming on the show, bearing with me through all the technical difficulties. Uh, thank you for coming on and telling these great stories sharing all your experiences. I really appreciate it. I hope the audience enjoyed this conversation as much as I have. There's nothing left for me to do for you then, but to roll out the red carpet, I would love for you to reiterate your name, your music, and your book, and just tell the people about where they can find all these great things that you have to offer. Well, again, my name is Dave Combs. My book's title is Touched by the Music. How the Story and Music of Rachel's Song Can Change Your Life. And my website is my last name, Combs, C-O-M-B-S, music.com, combsmusic.com. 
When you go to my homepage, you'll see on the left the picture of my cover of my book, and right below it will be a link that will take you to Amazon where you can read all about it and purchase it. On the right-hand side of the website is the picture of my CD of Rachel's song. Right underneath it is the link that will take you to Amazon.com, and you can purchase the CD or download the music or stream it. And in the middle of this page, again, is the link to play Rachel's song. And there's a little dot, dot, dot that you can do if you want to download it, the MP3. And at the bottom of my page is in my email address, Dave at CombsMusic.com, and all my social media links are down there. So it's CombsMusic.com, and that's all you need to remember. All right. All right. Again, straight to the point. I like that. I, I like that a lot. Dave, lastly, it is tradition around here on the Bronx Bias podcast that we allow our guest to choose a song that we end our podcast with today. And so the honor is yours. And I know where we're going, but the <laughs> honor is yours. What song would you like to play for the good people out there? You have just simply got to play Rachel's song. I guess as much as we've talked about it, <laughs> we would be remiss if we didn't play Rachel's song, right? That's right. That's right. Well, Dave, I want to say again, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for telling your stories. I really appreciate it. If you do become a motivational speaker and you do start using the title Most Interesting Man in the World and Tom Hanks does play you in your movie, please do not forget the Bronx Bias podcast. That is all I ask from you. The man is Denzel Rogers right there. That's right. That's right. Thank you again so much, Dave, for coming on. I really appreciate it. And I wish you again nothing but success in the future. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing some time with me. Thank you. It's been a real honor and a pleasure to be with you today. All right. Thank you so much. Round of applause for my guest for today, Dave Combs. Round of applause. And that, guys, will wrap it up. Episode number 98 of the Bronx Bias Podcast is in the books. I'm your host once again. My name is Denzel. I want to say a special, special, special thank you to my guest for today, Dave Combs. Thank you. I really appreciate you coming on and having this great conversation with me with all your stories and everything that you've done. And again, I wish you nothing but success in the future and everything else that you do. I want to say thank you to everyone who tunes in, who likes, who subscribes, who shares and supports. I also want to say thank you to everyone who is active and engaged with me on the social media platforms. I truly, truly appreciate all the love and all the support I receive from y'all. Please do not forget your boy Denzel has official Bronx Bias podcast merchandise available for purchase and the brand new Bronx Bias blog. The site where all of that is available and can be reached is at BronxBiasPod.com. Come check it out. Come mess with me on there. I've got hoodies. I've got t-shirts. I've got tote bags. I've got masks and stickers along with the blog, which will be an extension of my podcast where I can cover things or write about things that I couldn't necessarily discuss on the show. Also, uh, episode 100 is fast approaching. We are literally two episodes away from episode 100, and I'm planning on writing a special episode 100 blog 
um, you know, just talking about my journey getting to this point and also the history of the Bronx Bias podcast. Um, very special, very heartfelt, close to me because it's all about creating this platform. Um, so stay tuned for that. Also, I got some video coming out. I did a great docu-series with a former guest on this podcast named Omar McCray and Broken Land TV. I will be featured on there and I will upload it to the blog so you guys can see my interview with him. It's a video recorded interview. Um, so I'm very excited about that as well. So again, the site, BronxBiasPod.com. Come check it out. Subscribe to the mail list so you can be updated with everything that's coming on with me and the Bronx Bias Podcast. And I sincerely appreciate every single person who has gone on the site, checked it out, read a blog, or purchased some merchandise. I really appreciate it because I am an independent potter from the BXMY. And again, I encourage all the support. I encourage all the love. You know, because I, I do everything by myself. You know, we, we out here independent. So um, if you haven't checked out the website already, I suggest you go check it out, bronxbiaspod.com. And I, again, appreciate every single person who has gone on and checked out the site and purchased some merchandise from me. And lastly, we are going to fade you guys out with a great, great, great song, which is my guest Dave Combs' choice and his song. <laughs> and it is called... Rachel's Song by Dave Combs and Gary Prim. And this has been the Bronx Bias Podcast, episode 98. Have a great week. Have a great weekend out there and be safe. And I'll speak to you guys next week. We are out.